And now, Lord, we come to the time in this service for the gospel to be preached and the word of the Lord to be shared. You instituted this method of communication that by the preaching of the cross and the preaching of salvation through Jesus, that man could believe unto righteousness. In fact, your word says by the preaching of the cross, foolishness in the world, but it's the power of God to salvation. Touch us, Lord, through the efficacy of the Holy Spirit and make us, O Lord, happy recipients of the word of the Lord today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. amen. Praise the Lord. In John chapter 12 and chapter 13, there is great verses of Scripture that you could probably preach a lifetime just from those passages. So many of the uh, verses that you quote regularly come from these verses of Scripture. They're very somber. They're very pointed and very informing. In fact, John chapter 12 and chapter 13 is a pivotal place in the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of John, the first 12 chapters deal with Jesus in his intermingling in the Judea episode of righteousness, uh, works righteousness, I guess you would call it. It's Old Testament Levitical system. And Jesus was constantly in conflict because he represented the new and living way. And he found himself in a very religious environment, but people very knowledgeable, very dedicated. But God's will was to move past that way of worship into a better, new and living way. So 1213 is a, a critical point. In chapter 11, 10, 11, 12, Jesus is constantly in conflict and battering with the Pharisees. And he's dealing with that rejection, people that rejected him. From chapter 12 on, chapter 13, he starts dealing with people who received him. The Bible said he came unto his own and his own received him not. But to as many as did receive him, gave he power to become the sons of God. So the 13th chapter is what we all know as the foot washing episode, right? Right. And that's when uh, Jesus starts dealing with people who have received him. Starts dealing with, with, with people that are in process of being discipled and being trained to become what God wants them to be. Now, in the 12th chapter, we find a foot washing episode there also, but it's not uh, disciples' feet we're washing in chapter 12. In chapter 12, we're washing uh, Jesus' feet. In chapter 13, we wash disciples' feet. So in chapter 12, we've got a woman named Mary, and the Bible said that she take took the better part in that she anointed the feet of Jesus and she washed them with the hair and dried them with the hair of her head. So we've got a foot washing episode in chapter 12. We've got another foot washing episode in chapter 13. So we've got a kind of a crux of the matter right there at that pivotal point, and it's called the Paschal Discourse, the things that Jesus said in that transition period and in that time. Let's begin with 13 because you're very familiar with it. And John chapter 13, verse 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, isn't it ironic that 
Jesus was killed during the same time that the lambs were all killed and the blood smeared upon the doorpost and a time called Passover in, in Israel. And before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come that he should depart out of this world. Jesus knew that his time had come. How many of you believe that God is a God that's of timing, on time, does things according to time? In fact, the Bible said, and when the fullness of time was come, uh, Mary brought forth Jesus. And the Bible talks about a time, was it in the marriage at Cana? where the disciples had this discussion and Jesus said to his own mother, mine hour hath not come. In other words, it's not time right now for me to bring things to a conclusion, to do what I've been sent here to do. My hour is not, not come yet. And so now he's come to a time when he realizes mine hour has come. Mine hour has come. It's time for me to depart from this world, not the world, but this world. What's the difference in this world and the world? The world that God created was a wonderful place. The world, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The world that God created was a beautiful, beautiful place, but because of sin, it came to be this world. And that's the way Jesus spoke in these later uh, episodes of the gospel and the narrative of the gospel is that he talks about this world. Now is the time for his hour has come to depart from this world. Amen. Hey, I want to tell you, this world is not my home. This world is not God's final destination for us. This world and the way that things operate in this culture are not God's final final place for us to be. There's a great future that is out there and it's not this world, but it is in the world to come. And we believe that God is guarding all of history and he's moving all of history. He's in charge of all of it and he's guiding it toward a, a wonderful place. The time has come, the hour has come that he should depart out of this world unto the Father. Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them even unto the end. He not only loved them to the cross, he not only loved them through that awful, terrible suffering of pain at Calvary's cross, but he loved them unto the end. And he still loves them. And he still loves you. And he still loves me. But he's not in this world anymore. He is in the presence of God as the intercessor for every one of us making intercession. Aren't you glad to know Jesus is praying for you now? He ever liveth to make intercession for you. Supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Who put that thought there? Satan had put it in the heart of Judas. Satan begins by planting seeds. Just like God is a husbandman that deals with preparing seed beds and planting seeds, so does our adversary, the devil. He also plants seeds. And he starts in 
thoughts and he starts in suggestions and he put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot because he knew that Judas had a button to push that dominated his whole life. There was one thing that was more important to Judas than worshiping God. There was one thing that was more important to Judas than serving him, and that was money. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things and that he was come from God, he was going to God. He went to God. He riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured water in a basin, began washing disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Jesus knew the hour. Jesus knew God's timing. He understood God's timing and he did the obedient thing when God's timing had come. The central design of the Paschal Discourse of Christ was to lead his own into a spiritual understanding of their new place in God and in his system of righteousness. Do you know what righteousness is? It's right standing. It's right standing. When God brings about that justification by faith and brings peace through that process, then we are in right standing with God. Are you in right standing with God? Are your sins under the blood? Are you washed in the blood? Are you in good fellowship with God? Do you walk with God? Do you commune with God? Do you know what his voice sounds like? Do you know what it's like to read his word and be inspired and encouraged by his word? Do you know what it's like to kneel in prayer and pray a fervent prayer that moves the hand of God? Do you know what it's like to gather together in God's house and sing these spiritual songs and it does something spiritually to you? It's not just the rhythm or the, or the beat of the music. It's the worship. It's the, the music does something for you. It strikes a spiritual chord within you. And it does something that nothing else can do. Does the word of God do anything for you? That's a very, very good Question, you need to ask yourself that often. Does the Word of God do anything for me? Because therein lies the whole crux of the matter, is how we respond to the Word of God. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the... And without faith, it is to please God. So how you respond to the Word of God really determines on whether you could raise your hand a few minutes ago and say, I'm in right standing with God. You see, if the Word of God doesn't move you, if the Word of God doesn't touch you, it doesn't inspire you, it doesn't get some kind of response, then you need to check around. I said you need to check around and make sure that the Word of God still does what God intends for it to do. That's the new and the living way. You see, in the old way, you could go to the temple and you could bring your lamb and they could shed its blood and run its blood through the, the, the altar and, and all, go through all of that and go away and still feel no different than you did when you went in. You could go to the temple and all of it was done 
for you. It was done for you. In fact, you couldn't even go back there. You had to stay out in the sanctuary while a priest took your offering and took it back to the Father and presented it to the Father through that priest and there was a censer back there that they, they put incense in it and smoked up the place so you couldn't see. If you'd been there, you couldn't see. And you'd probably have been singing with the platters. Smoke gets in your eyes. Because it was a smoky place. Not that uh, you were afraid God would see you, but you didn't want to see God. Because no man that sees God can live. Yeah. That's why Moses, God hid Moses in the cleft of the rock while the Lord passed by. And he hid Moses. And the Bible said that Moses sneaked a peek. And he saw God's hind parts, it said. Hallelujah. In that religion, that system of Judaism, there was no intimacy. There was no relationship. There was no fellowship. There was just practice. You just do certain things. It was a works righteousness kind of a situation. And the work was never done. I've told you before, in all the furniture that was in the holiest of holies, there was not a chance because they could never sit down because you could never get caught up. The sins were so great that the priest could never, ever shed enough blood or offer enough animals in order for everybody to be forgiven and everybody to be saved or indulged is a better word. So it was an incomplete thing. It could never be done and finished. But God, looked into that situation and realized it's temporary. It's temporary. Touch your neighbor and say it's temporary. Temporary. It's not what God had for all eternity because before the foundation of the world, God determined that Jesus Christ should die for the unrighteous and the sinful. It was God's plan of action. It was God's intention that he would send his son into the world to give his life a ransom for many. In fact, the Bible says that he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor that we through his poverty might be made rich. It was necessary that God come down. And therefore we have that word Emmanuel, which means God with us. At Christmas we celebrate the fact that God is with us and that God cares about us but that, that, that decision has to be made by every one of us because salvation is free but it's not cheap I said salvation is free but it's not cheap Whew. you see that chapter 12 opened with the Lord's feet and his feet were anointed. His feet weren't washed. Did you get that? When Mary came and anointed with the spikenard, 
Boy, can you imagine the fragrance that must have gone all through to pour out an entire bottle of spikenard. It's very fragrant. And brother, it, it, it had to have just penetrated the whole house. Every bedroom, kitchen, closet, bathroom, everything had to be full of that fragrance. You know what I pray? I pray that the anointing of God would get so powerful at harvest that every breath you take, you'd smell the anointing of God. I pray that God would do something so powerful in harvest that along with his anointing, there would be this awareness that God is in the house. And do you know what? If you can ever get anointed, then you go to the right person. Anointing always carries you to the person of the Lord Jesus. How many times do we come to church, but we never get to see Jesus? How many times do we get to get in God's house, but we never get to that place where the anointing becomes so obvious to us and so prevalent to us that we just can't restrain ourselves, but we must respond with a thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Bless your name, Savior. Wonderful is your name. Great is our God. Greatly to be praised. Because, see, when you see him as he is in his sovereignty, in his glory, in his holiness, then it makes you feel little yourself. How little do you feel like you are? Because the bigger God is, the smaller you see yourself. Selfishness goes out the door when you get in the presence of God. Self-centeredness, arrogance, haughtiness, that all goes out the door when you get in the presence of God. When that anointing, his feet, he, in other words, he walked this life and his feet did not become defiled like ours do. Jesus walked in this life and lived in this life. He ate, he slept, he went about his task there in the, in the carpenter's shop. He, he was raised and experienced the entire human experience. He knew what it was like to be one of us. The human experience was live with Jesus, but his feet didn't, his feet did not attract the dirt and the filth like ours does. Isn't that something? So, praise God, his feet were anointed feet because they, they didn't attract the filth. He lived a sinless life. His life was a complete life that was lived in obedience to the will of our Heavenly Father. He said, Lo, I am come to do thy will, O God. He said, I am come to do the will of him that sent me. He that seeth me sees the Father because I, everything that the Father tells me to do, I do it. I do nothing on my own accord. Everything I do, I do it in agreement with the Father. When you hear me, you hear the Father. When you see me, you see the Father because all that the Father is, I am his expression in fleshly form of what he is and what he does. Praise God, the God-man, as we would say. Wow. So this God-man is at this, this feast at Lazarus' house in John 12, and Mary begins 
anointing the feet of Jesus, and it is seen as preparing him for what he calls the events of my departure out of this world. In other words, he knew that the, the situation is in progress. It started, and that he had to go through with this system that has begun in his life. Condescended down from a throne, down from riches, to become what we needed. You see, we didn't need a teacher because ignorance wasn't the problem. We didn't need a philanthropist because poverty was not the problem. We did not need a psychiatrist because mental illness, well, I don't know so much about that, but it shouldn't have been the problem. That's funny. Thad got it. Way to go, Thad. What was the problem? You don't know what your problem was? If somebody came up to you and asked you, what's your problem? You'd say, I don't know. What is the problem with man and the issue between him and God? What's the problem? Sin. Sin is the problem. So we didn't need a philanthropist, didn't need a philosopher, and we didn't need a psychiatrist. We need a savior. We need a savior. Because sin is the problem and a savior has to deal with that. A Savior has to deal with that. And he came to do exactly that. In chapter 12, Jesus is that corn of wheat. He said, a corn of wheat will not fall to the ground without it die. And if it dies, then it becomes productive because there's life in the death of the corn of wheat. In other words, something that is dead has life in it. But it has to die, and it first has to fall to the ground. Now, there were people standing all around scratching their head. What is he talking about? The Bible said, but this spake he of the cross and Calvary and dying and the death that he should die. In other words, Jesus was the corn of wheat. The corn of wheat. And listen at that. He says, that corn of wheat must die. In chapter 13, the eyes of the Savior are fixed upon the heavenly sanctuary. And he says, there's a place in God's provision that at this present time you can't go. What was that? That was that throne room that you can go boldly to now but you couldn't get to then. You were pre prevented from going because of your unrighteous standing with God. You did not have a Savior. You did not have an eternal sacrifice. You did not have one who offered himself for you. You didn't have a substitute. You were without, so you could not get into that holiest place. You were ineligible to get there. So listen to what, what Jesus did. Jesus made a way where there was no way. Jesus became your sacrifice. Jesus became your substitute. And Jesus opened up for every one of us a way to go into the presence of God. I could not get in the presence of God because my feet were dirty. 
I couldn't get to the presence of God because in my walk with the Lord, so many filthy things had attached themselves to me. So many corrupt, stinking, nasty things had become a part of me that I was not eligible to go into where God was. So what Jesus is presenting for us here is that furniture, and there's a brazen altar there. And Jesus, hallelujah, is standing there as that brazen altar for every one of us. You can't get back there until the brazen altar does its work, until the golden laver, until the golden laver does its work. See, that priest, before he could go back there, he first had to have cleansing. First, hey, I might as well stop and tell you, that before you could get to church back then, you had to go through baptism. In the old system, are you listening to pastor? In the old system, the Levitical system, Judaism, there were baptismal pools on the steps going up to the, to the temple. Why? Because you had to be baptized every time you went. Why? Because your feet were nasty. And because you'd attracted things in your life that had to be dealt with and you had to be baptized with a water baptism of the spirit and of the water. Wow. And these, they were called migvas, M-I-G-V-A-H, migva. And every person, before you could get into the presence of God, before you could worship, you had to first go get baptized every time you went to church. Aren't you glad we got a one-time? Aren't you glad that you don't have to, have to go every day and get baptized before you can go into the presence of God? That Jesus hath once offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. that Jesus has made a provision that once you get saved and once you go through that transition and that new and living way has become a part of your life, that now that you no longer have to, have to go through all of that process all over again in order to come into worship. If you're saved, praise God, you can worship wherever you are because worship in the new way is not confined to a certain place. You don't have to get you an expensive plane ticket and fly to Jerusalem and go walk up there to the temple and, and go back there and take a pigeon or a dove or a goat or a, a, a lamb and give it to a priest to offer for you. You don't have to do that anymore. In the new and living way, that's all been taken care of one time. The Bible said, this man hath once, once, once and for all offered himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Never another Calvary. Never another Golgotha. That grain of wheat falls into the ground and it dies, but it has life in it and it carries it with through death itself. It expands the plant, which becomes a resurrection. Every spring, you see resurrection. Every spring, God is so ordained that in the plants that 
suddenly come back to life, that which died over the winter. But in that, in that, that seed, there is, hallelujah, potential. There's life in that seed. Do you remember when at Christmas time I talked to you about the messianic seed? And that seed is the Lord Jesus. Praise God. The union of Christ with men is not an incarnation, though that, of course, is necessary. And it's a necessary step with the deity of God and man. But the blessed man so come into the world was a new man. He's a second man, a second Adam who could not unite with the old race and life and the new man was the light of men. But if that were all and the story ended right there, then the Bible said that they that walk in darkness have seen a great light. But they that saw the light and comprehended it not. Wow. If it was just that way, that would be the end of it. He was in the world and the world knew him not. To the lost, his dead, the people that are dead and trespasses and in sin, when they have that light turned on, they suddenly hear a gospel that causes faith to believe and to believe, have light. The light of the gospel shines unto them. Ephesians 2 and 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And also Jesus said in John 9, 39, he said, for judgment I am come into this world. For judgment I am come into the world. In John 12, 25 he says, he that loveth his life shall lose it. But he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. Wow. So if you become so at home in this world and so attached to this present world that the world to come means nothing to you, then that life will be lost. But if you lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven, if you set your affection on things above, if you dedicate yourself and the world to come means so much to you that living for God is not a, not a burdensome thing. Living for God is a privilege. Living for God is a walk of expectancy that one day things are going to change and God has something so much better for you. That's what that seed, that germinating uh, plant, when it comes forth and it shows forth the life that is in it. And verse 31 of chapter 12 says, now is the judgment of this world, and now shall the prince of this world be cast out. What has Calvary got to do with the prince of this world being cast out? What does Jesus dying on a cross have to do with defeating the devil and casting him out? Well, that's great. The Bible said, if our gospel be hid, 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to people who are lost. In whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them that they might be saved. Hallelujah. So if that light comes on, that light that is the life, 
the life. The light is the life of Jesus. The light is the sacrificial death of Jesus. The light is the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And that is what we call the light of the gospel. But if that light is hid, it's because our adversary, the prince and the power of the air, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light should shine unto them that they might be saved. If the light ever shines, if the blinders are ever removed, then thanks be to God, that person will get saved. How can we defeat this blindness imparting God of this world? It is something that one God gives us light and the God of this world gives us darkness. And it's something that the God of grace and the God of, of light is the God who gives good gifts unto men. That the prince and the power of the air, the God of this world, puts you in a dungeon and he restricts you and puts you in bondage. One gives you freedom. One puts you in bondage. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus. I believe the defeat of Satan began with the cross episode. I believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he started the process of defeating the devil forever. Because if there was no Calvary, and if there was no offering of himself, then there was no way we could ever live victoriously and defeat the devil. We live for victoriously because Jesus went to the cross. We live for God because Jesus went to the cross. We're going to heaven because Jesus went to the cross. We get prayers answered because Jesus went to the cross. We have fellowship one with another because Jesus went to the cross. Our needs are met because Jesus went to the cross. Our troubles, our anxiety, our fears disappear because Jesus went to the cross. The devil is defeated because Jesus went to the cross. He started, and he said, now is the time come for the prince of this world to be cast out. To be cast, I believe something was started right there. Paul tells us that in Colossians chapter 2 and 15 that Christ spoiled principalities and powers, having made a show of them openly, triumphing over them. He made a show. What that means is, you know, when Roman generals would capture people and when they would get spoils from other countries, they'd have a great parade. And as they came into town riding on that big white horse with the silver all gleaming in the sunlight, they would parade the spoils. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, I want to tell you, there was a parade in heaven. I said they had a parade in heaven. And Jesus was the grand marshal of the parade. And when Jesus entered heaven after spoiling, spoiling all of the principalities and the powers of evil and the devil and all of his cohorts, 
And Jesus made an open show of them. Oh, blessed be God. There's going to be another parade like that one of these days in heaven. There's going to be another marriage one of these days in heaven. There's going to be another supper. There was a supper in 12 chapter. There's a supper in the 13th. There's going to be another supper. And the Bible said they'd come from the east and they'd come from the west. They'd come from the north and they'd come from the south. And they'll sit down at that table and they'll eat the marriage supper of the lamb. Praise God. Isn't it something that God has his greatest triumphs around suppers and around eating. No wonder COGs does so much supper eating. We must be Edomites because we sure do like to have supper, don't we? Isn't it good that God does some of his greatest work around supper? That hallelujah, that supper when they anointed, Jesus said something, said, she hath taken the better part. Don't try to hinder Mary from worshiping because she has taken the better part. The Bible said that people who know about this grace and know about saving faith and know about victory in Jesus, they have this intimacy with Christ and they have this relationship with Jesus. You would call them fanatics. Some people call them on fire. Some people call them stirred up. Some people call them fervent. Some people call them full of the Spirit. They enjoy a relationship with God. They take the better part. Amen. They've evaluated all of the things and they've said there's one thing that means more to me than anything else in this world. There's something I do that is my favorite thing to do more than anything else. There's not even a close second. What is that? That part where I get to worship. That part when I get in his presence. That part when heaven comes down. That, that part where the anointing of God and the liberty and the freedom that I have in Christ when he touches me. I can never be the same when he touches me. I don't walk like I walked before. I don't talk like I talked before. Once I get in his presence and once I worship him and give my heart opportunity to claim him for my own, then something happens spiritually inside me that doesn't happen in a sports arena. It don't happen on a basketball court. It don't happen on a football field. It doesn't happen on a baseball diamond. There's something that happens when I get with Jesus. I believe that first stage in the casting out of Satan occurred at the cross. The next will occur when he is cast out of heaven. Thought he already got cast out of heaven. He got cast out of the third heaven. He got cast out of where God is. But there's a reason why they call him the prince and the power of the air. That's his domain now. It's what theologians call the second heaven. But there will come a time, let's see, where is that? That's in Revelation 12. 
when he'll be cast out into the earth. You mean God has limits that he puts on Satan? Yes. Here's your good one. God has got limits on him concerning me. He made a promise to me, I will never allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear. I'll never let the devil come at you with anything that could destroy you that you can't handle. I'll never let him put anything in your life that will destroy you. You can, you can handle it. I won't let it come your way if I don't think you can handle it. I'll restrict him. I will, I'll draw the line on him. I'll, I'll put some restraints on him to uh, how far he can go because I know what you can bear. And when it comes to what you can bear, I'll never let him cross that line. Whoa! Somebody said, but I can't take a, yeah, you can. If it comes to you, then God has already determined that you can take it. If it happens in your life, it's already been evaluated with God. And he's already determined, yeah, she can handle that. You go ahead and roar all you want to roar, she can handle that. Yeah, you go ahead and blow off all you want to, she can handle that. You go ahead and threaten all you want to, he can bear that, he, he can handle that. Glory to God. God has said, I won't allow, I won't allow you to be tempted above that which you're able to bear. And when God said, get out of heaven, he got out of heaven. When God says, get out of the air, he's got to get out of the air. But that's not the end of God's casting with him. Now is the time for the prince to be cast out, cast down. The next casting is in when Satan is cast into a bottomless pit. In Revelation 20, John said, I saw an angel descending down from God out of heaven, had a chain in his hand. And he said he went over to that serpent, that old snake, that old dragon that has inflicted his evil and wickedness and fear and anxiety upon humans. And that angel went over and accosted him, took charge over him, and went over and cast him, glory to God, cast him into that bottomless pit. Stood up and said, peace on this earth for a thousand years of peace. It's what we call the millennial reign of Christ. Glory to God. What am I going to be doing then, Brother Jerry? Don't tell me where Jesus is going to be and where the devil is going to be. Where am I going to be? The Bible said, Thou art worthy to take the book and loose the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us unto God of every kindred, people, language, tongue, and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign with him upon the earth. Wow. I was 
wake up at the middle of the night, I do that. Turn on the one-eyed monster, y'all call it, I guess. And Science Channel. And they said in 1.1 billion years from now, the earth is going to become so hot that the lava is going to melt and it's going to be a chaotic, an uninhabitable place. And said sometime in the next 1.1 million years, possibly 1.2 billion years, man is going to have to find him a place to go. Well, I'm glad they gave us plenty of time to think about it. We can explore all of our options. Wow, 1.2 billion years from now. For 10 million years, we'll sing amazing grace, glory. I want to tell you something, friend. This earth has not seen the last of the Lord Jesus. This earth has not seen the last of Jesus. God's got great plans for this earth. Got great plans for the redeemed of God. You don't need to worry about 1.2 billion years from now because when we get to that point, praise God, we'll still be singing Amazing Grace. We'll still be fellowshipping. We'll still be loving our God. Hallelujah. Not only will he be cast out for a thousand years, but in Revelation 12, 20 and 10, he's cast, let out of the bottomless pit and he goes out into the earth. But then in the 10th verse, the Bible said, and the devil, Satan, was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever. So what Jesus has done, he's already started that casting out process. Jesus has already started getting rid of the devil. His first step was Calvary. Now is the time for the prince of this world to be cast out. And the final casting will be when he's cast into the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And that's all, his demise has already been determined. Hey, why would you let a loser like Satan come around and try to talk you out of living a life that's going to lead you to the presence of Almighty God. Why would you listen to a loser that got kicked out of heaven and going to get kicked out of the air, going to be kicked into a bottomless pit and uttermost kicked into a lake of fire and brimstone? Why would you listen to him? He is headed for a bad place and he just wants you to go with him. Your best advice is put the brakes on. No. No. Heaven is too sweet. Eternity is too long. Too much 
to gain to lose. Brother, I'm not going to listen to any of your stuff. I can't afford to go where you're wanting to take me. I can't afford to act like you're wanting me to act. I can't afford to say the things you're wanting me to say. I can't afford to be what you're trying to make me. I refuse to be that. Jesus went to a cross and Jesus shed his blood. Stripes were placed upon his back, a crown of thorns upon his head. Hallelujah. And he did that so that I would not have to do what you say. I am a victor. I'm not a victim. I'm a winner. I'm not a loser. You're a loser. You're a victim because God has already determined what's going to happen to you. So leave me alone. And let me serve God and be what God wants me to be. Boy, that's good stuff. I like that. The Bible says in 1 John 5 and 8, There are three that bear witness in the earth, the spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree in one. Blood and water. Come on, Carter, help me quit. Blood and water. Blood is Godward. Water is saintward. Blood is to satisfy God. Blood has been shed so that we can be made nigh and reconciled, so that we can enjoy fellowship with God. The blood of Jesus accomplishes that. Blood. The blood of the eternal sacrifice. You mean there is a sacrifice that's eternal? Yep. When Jesus did it, it is eternal. There will never be another Calvary. There will never be another sacrifice. Jesus is one sacrifice for eternity. He is the one offerer of himself for the sins of the whole world forever. Isn't that good to know? Well, I'm going to deal with blood and water. We'll do water next Sunday. I'll stop. Hebrews 10, 14 through 22. For by one offering. Can you put that up there for me? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 through 22. For by one offering. One offering. Who was that offer? Jesus. One offer. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us for after that he said before this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days saith the Lord I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more But I ain't got anything any better than that. That ought to have everybody on your feet say, glory to God, hallelujah. God says he will never remember my sins again. That that issue is gone, never to be brought up again, never to be presented, never to be dealt with. It's done, it's finished, it's over. That sin is gone. God doesn't even remember. Then why don't you forget it? I said, if God has forgotten it, why don't you forget it? 
If God has given you his grace, why don't you give yourself God's grace? If God has deemed you to be paid in full, then why don't you stand up and then say, praise God, thank you, Jesus. I am who I am. I am perfected. Did you hear what it said? Perfected. He had perfected in us forever. Verse 14, he hath perfected forever. Perfected forever. Perfected forever. My goodness. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. What's your ticket to get in? Blood of Jesus. When you knock on heaven's door and you're asked, why should I let you in? What are you going to say? Blood of Jesus. When you're told you don't deserve to be here, what are you going to say? Blood of Jesus. When you're going to be told you didn't earn this, what are you going to say? Blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No other fountain, no, nothing but the blood of Jesus. The blood. Having boldness to enter in by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. Brother, if we've got an option, then let us draw near. If we've got a decision to make, then let us draw near. Draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Listen, having our hearts sprinkled, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Sprinkled and washed. Now listen, one of those is done for you. The sprinkling. Be hard to do that. Got to get that done. When the priest, before he could go back in the holy place, he had to go by the certain sprinkling, and it was blood. I said it was blood, blood of an animal, special animal, but he was sprinkled with that blood before he could go back. But that was done for him. Please, please get this. It was done for him. But then he had to proceed, Drew, to another place called a golden laver. And when he got to the golden laver, he had to get into the golden laver and take the scrub brush and start washing himself. What does that tell me? That tells me there's some sprinkling and that's done by God for you. Jesus did that for you at the cross. You didn't have to do it because Jesus did it for you. The one who didn't deserve it is the one who did it for you. You owed a debt you could not pay. He paid a debt he did not owe. 
and he did that for you. But the washing and the golden laver was done by the priest who went back, which is you. You mean God doesn't do all the cleaning up in my life, Brother Jared? No, there's some of it you got to do. About three or, four, three or four more minutes. If you'll, if you'll be real good for three or four minutes, you get out of here. One is done for you. One's done by you. In 2 Corinthians 6, the Bible tells us, Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God. What does that mean? That means I am a house. That means I have got something, somebody living in me. Know ye not that ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will walk in them. Is, is God walking in you? I will walk in, I will dwell in them. What does that mean? Is God at home in you? I said, is God at home in you? Or is he renting? Is God visiting or is he renting? Is it home? I said, is he at home? If he's at home, then he dwells with you. He dwells with you and he shall be in you. In you. Look at somebody say, in you. That's good old Southern, isn't it? In you. He shall be in you. That God will be in you. He dwell, I will dwell in them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will be a father unto them. And they will be my sons and my daughters. Seventh chapter starts like this. Wherefore? Why is that? Wherefore, therefore? Because having said all of this, with all of that in mind, that being said, wherefore, let us cleanse ourselves. You mean God doesn't do all of it? No, he's some of it you got to do. It's like the guy with the whiskey in his pocket with Don. Don got him saved. He thought... And the guy said, when I get through with this pint right here, I'm not ever going to buy another one. There's some cleaning up. You got to go home, pour that stuff in the toilet and flush it. You got to do some cleaning up yourself. There's some stuff you've got to do yourself. God forgives the sin. God washes your iniquities away. But there's some things you've got to do yourself. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh. But it doesn't stop there. It says, and of the Spirit. Now, let me ask you, do you know anybody with a filthy spirit? Yeah, you do. They're a spark looking for a gas can. Always ready to scrap. Temper about that long. They've never learned how to control themselves never learned how to bring themselves under obedience to the will of God, never learned how to keep their body under subjection. Come on, somebody. Filthiness of the flesh. Here, here it is. Now, now I'll be through. Last verse. 
Wherefore, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You do what you do because of reverential awe. Fear is a little bit awkward word, not necessarily the right word. It's awe, the reverential awe that you have for God. God is so great. God is so good. How could I live any other way? That's what it says. Hey, now next, next week we're going to find out about a, about a person who says, I am the water. But he says on the cross when he's up there, I'm thirsty. How can one who is the fountain of living water say, I'm thirsty? How can the one who stood up and said to the seas and to the waves, hey, peace be still, and command winds and waves, and yet he says, I'm thirsty. We'll find out about that next Sunday. Stand with me. Now, one thing I need you to do, I don't want you to leave here a Sadducee. We don't need any Sadducees. Got enough of them. Don't need any Sadducees. So put your best eye pan a smile on. Look at two or three people and say, I love you in the Lord. Hug a couple of necks. There you go. That's good. You're doing good. You're doing good. God, I pray for all the people in this auditorium this morning. I thank you for every one of them and the fellowship that they have with the Lord Jesus. And I ask you, God, to touch every one of them that we would, from today's message about the Word of God and our relationship and the transition from the old to the new and living way, preparing ourselves, O oh Lord, for that glorious season that we're about to enter into. But there can be no resurrection and there can be no victory, no joy at that point but what we go through the process of Calvary. Help us, everyone, O oh Lord, to know that the Lord is the supplier of every need. He is the benefactor. He blesses with all spiritual blessings. In Jesus' name, God, just dismiss us from this place with love and joy in our heart. Amen and amen and amen.